Liam, thanks for taking the time to do this. First things first, man, how you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks, mate. Um, I say it's been, been warm recently. It's <laughs> definitely could do with some uh, air conditioning, but uh, now nah, it's, been, it's been pretty good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. Same, really, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I love I love summer, but once, you know, we're, we're in England, isn't it? We're in the UK. <laughs> once it gets, we, we want, all we want is heat. The moment when it gets hot, all we do is moan that it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And then we always have the good old British rain as well. So there's uh, not a lot we can do about that either, unfortunately. Yeah, whereabouts are you? At Wigan. Wigan. Okay, okay, yeah. London's so, though, quite, quite some. I'm not, I don't even know how to get to Wigan. <laughs> just head north basically yeah <laughs> just head north yeah, north of the wall yeah well the north uh, the north is it's always seems to be in the news in some way or another and particularly in regards to you know the situation we've kind of been in in the uk yeah. for the last 15 15 odd months and like without going too much into it it's really just to kind of gauge how you personally have been kind of holding up during this period yeah uh, i mean i think I'm one of the sort of fortunate people in a way because I don't think it's affected me too much. Um, I've still been able to to go into work and everything, so I've still been going into the office throughout all of that. So the morning routine's never really changed. It's still always been a case of, you know, get up, shower, get dressed, go to work, and all that's been there. Um, Socialising's obviously been a little bit different because you can't, or couldn't go out to, to pubs and stuff and, and restaurants to meet up with friends. But again, quite fortunate in the fact that a, a lot of my friends play games and stuff. So we've just been able to sort of sit around and chat as we as we normally would and sort of, you know, still just get along and socialise, which has been good. The, the, the sort of one of the hardest things, I suppose, has been not being able to play live. Um, and then even like trying to, trying to write an album through lockdown <laughs> was uh, pretty challenging. But um, yeah, on the whole, I think I, I've, you know, sort of got through it pretty unscathed compared to some people. And it's been very, very challenging for, for quite a few people. Yeah, considering that. So when, when, when like you're asked kind of like how you've been holding up, how things have been for you and so on, do you, do you, do you, do you kind of get like, feel like a guilt complex? Because you can turn around and sort of say, look, it hasn't really affected me. Yeah, massively. Um, and even and then you sort of feel guilty about feeling guilty. And it's like a knock on effect. But yeah, because um, like I say, I, I do I do know that I'm quite fortunate in the fact that it hasn't affected me. But at the same time, like I, I'm lucky that it hasn't as well. You know what I mean? So it's, it, it is, it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard mm. sort of pill to swallow. Because like you say, you, especially when I, people that I work with closely and friends and relatives and stuff, like I know it has hit them hard. Yeah. Um, so you yeah you do you feel you feel guilty for sort of not being affected as much. I mean I don't know whether it's affected you much or other than catching it myself. Uh, it, it I I've been pr- very fortunate as well. The job I do meant that I was at work as per normal. Uh, it's um, my loss has been not being able to go to see bands, live music, yeah. and so on. But in the grand scheme of things, you end up as I say about the guilt thing. We end up going, look, there are bigger things going on here right now. I'm not going to be sitting here saying, "Oh, poor me, I can't see Vosquiloid live." Yeah. Uh, while you know, tens of thousands of people die and stuff like that. It, it's it's a it's it's a, trying to get the balance right where you kind of I guess. You said it there yourself. While you may not be directly affected, and I don't think I've been directly affected, you know people who yeah. have been, and that's the thing. It's touched everyone in some way, you know? Yeah, definitely. But aside from 
I mean, aside from the new album, because obviously that is the major focus of this period as well. What else then has been kind of keeping you busy? Has it just been work and just relaxing, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. Um, work does take up a, a lot of time. It's one of the joys of having a full-time job, I suppose. But um, yeah, in between that, I've sort of been working on like a little bit of a, a Calloid project, which was linked to recording. So it's, you know, going through some video footage, trying to edit that together. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to mention a bit more about that soon. Um, and then we've recently done a live playthrough of the, the recent album. And we did, the guys did the same with Melted, where they went back into like a studio and played it in full from start to finish in like a live setting. Mm. So we went back down to full to do that because the, the live room in there is just like, it sounds amazing. It looks amazing. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, we've been sort of working through the tunes and getting back to a sort of a, a point where it's comfortable playing those live and yeah. comfortable enough to record it so that other people can can hear it as well. And I suppose as well, it's kind of time to a degree to kind of get the practice in as well, because although question marks exist over everything still, we are in theory towards the light at the end of the tunnel. And I guess, I mean, we already know you've got plans later in the year, we'll get to that at the end, but um, yeah, I guess it's kind of time where it's almost like, okay, yep, let's the, like time to get back on a train with the band yeah uh, and I said and that was one of the hardest things about trying to write as well because it was right at the start of the first lockdown where we were well I think at the time we were due to go into the studio in either May or June 2020 oh wow um and I mean in in a way it was a little bit of a a get out of jail free card for us because we were probably in hindsight we were probably nowhere near ready um so having like i think it was best part of three or four months where we couldn't even really practice in the same room or do anything it, it was just it was just put a massive halt on everything so it was you know it was challenging to get back into that because you you go from not really playing as much in a room with the guys to all right, well, not only have we got to get back to practicing, but we need to get back into that mindset and back into that flow of writing because we're now going in the studio in like six months' time. Did you um, have any concerns personally, just you? Did you have any concerns when it kind of came to doing it that you were going to be not so much rusty, but more the idea that you might not perhaps have the same level of enthusiasm you maybe had a year before? Yeah, and it's, it's sort of the thing of you want to do it justice. So to, especially when you're on a roll and once you sort of get going and you come with quite a few good ideas and you get them down and it's like, oh yeah, we've, we've, we're onto something. Then all of a sudden yeah, stop all that. Uh, come back in like four months. It's like, oh, are we going to be able to get back on it? Are we all going to be in the same mindset? People say people have been affected by COVID and, and everything else. So it's like, oh, well, are people going to think the same? Are we going to be able to just get back on? But luckily, I say it's one of the, it's sort of one of the good things about, having played with each other so long I suppose is that within one or two practices it was almost like oh yeah this is how we do this right okay <laughs> <laughs> I love that as well I mean because like you got you're talking about go, trying to get into the studio during the first lockdown that was the period where we really didn't know anything and we were under the impression or led to believe that oh in three weeks time or in two months time it'll all be fine and stuff like that so yeah. credit to you for getting being stuck with that situation and getting to this very point where the album is now out. Yeah, cheers, man. It's, uh, it was, it was, that was, that was probably one of the most challenging things of, of all of 
lockdown for me personally. Mm. But yeah, like I say, it's once recording was done, that was a, a big relief. And then it was like, all right, well, now we need to get onto the sort of campaign of pushing it and get all the stuff moving in the background. So um, that busy period, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, for those who do not know, Family the Smiling Thrush, it is out now. It was out on June the 4th via Report Music. Uh, take my word for it. I think this album is absolutely phenomenal and one of the best things I've heard this year. So do check it out. Has the dust for you settled? Have you kind of come this, no, now it's out and it's out there and people are listening to it. And I imagine you get a lot more, not necessarily critical reviews, but more fan-based thoughts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so like I say, it's like I say, it only came out, well, five days from yeah. point of recording this. So yeah, like sort of it's still sort of going on now. Like I say, there's been a, a few sort of reviews before that were, you know, you like it was submitted to people beforehand to to do all the, the reviews and everything. But yeah, like the the fan reviews coming in now, there's still a lot of feedback coming from family, friends, loads of people on social media and stuff and like it's amazing to to see the response to it. It's been overwhelmingly positive, which when you put any anything new out there, it's always a bit of a gamble as to, you know, is, is it going to be good? Are people going to like it? Is, is it too different from what people are going to be expecting? All those kind of things. And like, like we really didn't think people would get it, but we never really think people are going to get it because it's always crazy. Yeah. Um, um, like it, there's a lot going on, so it does take a while to sort of digest it all. And you know, a, a, every time you listen to it, you, you find something else that you perhaps didn't spot the first time, stuff like that. But like I said, we love it. It's probably, you know, we'd argue it's probably the best album that we've ever written from a personal point of view. And it, it's good to see that, you know, other people do like it and, and they do get it. And it, it's just nice of people to sort of go out of the way to say you know thanks or well done like it's like no one needs to do that really you know as much as they can enjoy it it's good that people want to just sort of say my this cheers guys this is good kind of thing it's like there's no better feeling than knowing that it's resonating with people and you know they're enjoying it mm, and it's good as well because i mean obviously you know this you're in a band and you are no slouches you guys have been around a little while the loudest voices are the negative ones so if the positive <laughs> are drowning them out things are going right yeah, it's, just, it's not too bad. I mean, there's always going to be, not even negative, but like people who don't get it. And we sort of, we expect that, we expect more people to not get it. I'd just be like, what, what is this? <laughs> this is just crazy. But, uh, or the other, because obviously the, the the hardest thing for people who listen to it or do whatever it is, is trying to pigeonhole it. Because um, it doesn't really fit into anything. <laughs> um, so, you know, it gets pushed towards like the doom and sludge side of things and then you get people who are like that kind of music going this isn't doom and then it gets pushed the other way towards prog and then you've got prog elitists saying well no this isn't prog and it's like well no it's somewhere in between and it's a matter of all of it but um we've all got ridiculously varied music tastes and i think that is what comes across in the in the music really like it's just a, a mishmash of, of everybody's tastes I think if uh, if you're someone like new discovering the album and so on, uh, a lot of that can apply. If you are a long-term Boss Keloid fan, you should be by now expecting the unexpected. Like, you should <laughs> be prepared for something, you know? It wouldn't surprise me if your next your next record was a neo-punk 
Oh, it would not surprise at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Um, I mean, and that is that's never the plan as such to you know keep people guessing and oh how far can we push things. It's always just been we want to better mm-hmm. the last thing from a personal point of view. And like even with this, like we we never wanted it to be melted on the inch too. It was no, we didn't want to remake that. Um, but also, you know, that is the sound of that is the fundamental sound and there, there are obviously elements of that on this as well but um so we wanted to obviously include that but not just regurgitate that album again in a sort of slightly different format very few bands can continue to do the same record over and over again and a lot of them are now either retired gone themselves anyway these days variety is key while obviously still sounding very much like yourselves you sound like boss keel this is a boss keloid record there is no question about that <laughs> i think i urge everyone to go check themselves and then spend a week with it and then see how you feel at the end of that week so you talked a bit before about like the build and leading towards the album and stuff like that now con- obviously considering what you've done in previous records and how different it's been this time what benefits have you been able to find uh when it came to the press and leading towards the release of your singles and the build towards the album, what benefits have you been able to take out of that because of COVID and so on? Yeah, I mean, like probably more of the benefits were around the, the writing and recording aspect anyway, because um, we have a tendency, I don't, we, no matter how many times we say we're not going to do it, we do it every single time, but we end up booking like a one-off gig either right before recording or in the middle of writing or something and then you know we'll, we'll have gone months where we've not played any of the older stuff so you need to relearn that but then you need to relearn that in the middle of a writing cycle and then it's it throws all out and no we every single time but like, no not doing that we'll do it every single time mm. um and again so you know sometimes it, it, it is sort of beneficial just to even spend a, a, you know a couple of hours away from those songs to to play the older ones and then you come back to these with fresh ears and a fresh head and you end up doing something entirely different anyway Mm. but being able to sort of spend more time focusing on writing and and getting everything right for the studio was a was a sort of a major a major benefit um and then like again same with sort of focusing on on the press side of things like it gave us the chance to just focus on that a little bit and actually because we're you know we're, we're not the most um proactive when it comes to like social media and things like yeah. that and, um and we know we're not you know i mean like we, there's, there's other bands that are well on their social game compared to us and you know we it's it's something that we we know we need to work on but um for even just from like the, the band account kind of thing because as individuals we're not necessarily all on social yeah. media so we don't really post stuff from individual accounts that much so um we yeah, even just by not being out and about and, and touring and gigging it's allowed us to spend a bit more time on that and just try and generate a, a bit more buzz leading up to it and let's say it, it definitely seems to have had you know a, a big impact because the, the the reach that it's had so far has just been phenomenal in, insane yeah yeah it's been crazy is, was there anything that kind of happened uh, during even the writing and recording and the build and up to the release that you were forced to do because of the pandemic that you thought, yeah, that really worked nicely for us? Would maybe consider doing that in the future? Uh, I mean, we weren't really sort of 
forced by by the pandemic as such because i say the, the main issue with that was just literally not being able to yeah. be in the room with each other um and i mean going back to like older albums it, it would be mainly like paul and steve who would write everything and then we'd all go away and put our own parts to it and come back and turn it into a song whereas particularly this one the, from start to finish the entire thing has just been turn up into a practice room sit down see what happens and that's how every song was written so again to be doing that for the first time and then have to step away from it because you can't then I mean obviously you could try and put things together at home and send it to each other but it's that crazy at times when it's just an individual part you just think oh well, what am I supposed to do with mm -hmm. this and what's going on so like um yeah it was definitely but like I say the um writing collaboratively like that was completely different for us but again i think sort of like like you said before it still sounds like the boss Kelloid album but it is different and it's because of everybody else's sort of little flavorings that they're throwing in of, of their music taste sort of come through just subtly just to sort of color it a little bit it's fascinating here because it sounds like you guys are kind of evolved so much in regards to how you're working together as well during a time when arguably evolution of bands have all had to take a step back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I think if even, you know, between us all, we all sort of had more technology available. So, you know, we could have done, you know, higher quality recordings at home that you could then send to each other. And, you know, I think we, we might have been able to do things a little bit differently of at least getting ideas sent through, but like even now when we're right in the practice room, once there's a, a riff or a section recorded, someone will just get out the phone and record a voice memo in the corner. And that's like the demo version <laughs> of it. Um, so we're not exactly in the high tech uh, realm when it comes to recording stuff. It's natural. It sounds awesome. <laughs> you know? One of the sort of highlights, one of the things that kind of comes up throughout the album is obviously it is a very positive record. It's got a lot of positive themes and lyrical content and what you're kind of trying to tell throughout it. Now, first off, you could, uh, did you plan or were you thinking about the current state of the world when you kind of decided that's how you wanted to write the album or at least the parts of the album, the direction you might've been going in? Um, not really, because it's sort of, we've been writing it for about three years on, on and off. Um, mm. Like we only, it's only sort of within the last, 12 months or so it got really intense because again we knew right well we need to get this recorded we we really need to focus on it but yeah it's been sort of three years in the making and the the theme all along was always meant to be about you know the the, the sense of community and doing things for the for the greater good and just general positive vibes um but yeah then with with COVID and, you know, all the things that have happened over the last 12 to 18 months, it's almost like the the positivity on the album has just transformed into an entirely different beast of, it, of its own thing. And it's just sort of gone off on one. So like, it, it, it definitely seems to be almost like a bit of an escape or a, a remedy for mm. the way that the world is at the minute, which again, whether it's coincidence or, you know, we've, we've been very lucky of the tag. I say, we, if it would have been, no none of this we'd have potentially rushed into the studio in may 2020 and it could yeah. have been an entirely different album so it's almost like the irony of for us at least anyway of just a like a terrible worldwide situation has actually meant that we've you know made this album that seems to fit quite well 
Mm. As like a contrast to what's going on in the world. Yeah, without meaning to, you may have accidentally captured a moment that in 20 years time, you'll be able to look back on and narrow it down to specifically, oh yeah, that was what was happening right there and then. And you can feel it even now, 20 years later, listening to that record and get that same feeling. Yeah. Um, and I mean, again, Alex may well have sort of channeled some of you know his more recent feelings of, oh, say over the last 12 months to, to write some of the lyrics, but um but yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's like you say, you can. It's almost like we'll know from a personal point of view that that was written and recorded throughout this period in time. And you know, for for most people, it's obviously going to be a, a very dark period. But it's almost like we can take something positive out of it. That well, that's the hope, right? Isn't it? I mean, it really is. Is that if there's a handful of people, one person out there who hears, who's in a particularly uh, dark or cold place, and hears the record, and it helps them. I mean, that's the dream, right? hundred percent. If you know, what I mean, if there's someone who's in that kind of a situation or in that kind of a place, and just one of those songs or any of it just sort of either keeps them going or drags them out of it, and it's just like I say, it, it is the dream to think that music is doing, or sort of, sort of your music is doing that for other people. It's just insane. Like it'd be amazing if if it is helping people in that way. Yeah, yeah, I really hope so, as particularly as, as more weeks go by and more and more people hear and get to know it. Well, let's change tactics then, because you're a bit of a gamer, right? Yes, certainly so, am. Here's the thing, when, when, so, when you do this whole, right, you're a gamer, I'm a gamer, uh, how do you start a conversation off about video games? You start with, <laughs> like, what's your favourite video game? What console are you playing? Stuff like that. Um, and it will be, I'd imagine some of the answers may be quite obvious maybe not so rather than do that let's just go to the very beginning and really it's about your childhood because ultimately that's likely where you first picked up a controller and i kind of want to know what your earliest memories are experience wise uh for what you were playing and um what what was the bug that bit back then um so sort of both of, i've got two older brothers so I, my oldest brother's like nine years older than me okay. and my other brother's seven years older than me so um they had a commodore amiga of course so that was just always set up so that was just like the go-to um and yeah you know platform games like james pond uh manic minor uh golden axe and stuff you know just like stuff like especially that like golden axe you could have two players so i would be playing with my brother and you know just that idea of just being able to sit there and play games with them was always sort of enjoyable. Um, and then not long after the Amiga 500, there was another console that was kicking about that I don't think it did too well, actually, but it was called the, the Amiga CD32. Of course. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that. I'd like games like Diggers and uh, Brutal Football, which was just hilarious like in if you got in there's the american football but if you ended up in injury time the goal was to decapitate all the players on the other team and that was how you won in injury time um it was just a, a genius game that you know they don't make them like that anymore um really don't <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like, then sort of as i got a little bit older then it, I, it was moving into sort of the the world of consoles and stuff like that mm. so i think that's when it, it it really really bit so i think I, I was around five or six and i got um the snes super nintendo 
Um, and like sort of from that point, that that was that. You know, games like um, Mario Kart, um, Donkey Kong, uh, Super Tennis, NBA Jam, or sort of arcade games that suddenly turned up on a console, like Street Fighter Two, yeah. as well. And it's like all of a sudden you don't have to have a big arcade machine somewhere. You can play a game like Street Fighter on a console. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then like. I used to spend a lot of time with my cousins and, and things like that when we were younger and they had a snares. So then you suddenly, you've now got someone to swap games with and, yeah. you know, you, you, you get into that world of, you know, why oh, you borrow this? And it like that in itself is just a whole other, a whole other world. But um, I mean, yeah, not long after that, it was, you know, like N64 and that was just another level. Um, being able to play like four players yeah. in the same room without having to buy additional hardware or anything as long as you all had a controller and you brought it around to someone's house that was it and it's like four of us can play a game and it's yeah. like it. and obviously that then brings in more of a social aspect to it because it's all well and good having two players but all of a sudden rather than people sitting and waiting and passing a controller around there's four of you in a room all playing at once um and yeah so i said sort of it was main it was from like Commodore consoles and then the sort of first home computers that they brought out to then just sort of moving into the world of Nintendo and then say just opened a whole new realm to me. That is fascinating because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. I've got a rough idea of what age you are based upon what you've said, a rough idea. And I'm just waiting for you to hit as you've hit the 90s and you're talking Nintendo 6 Formula. Well, obviously, obviously you had a PlayStation, but you didn't say it. No, well, my... My brother got a PlayStation as I got my Nintendo 64. So it was sort of like, we did sort of play on each other's consoles a little bit, but he was always very quick to, to poo-poo the N64 and be like, oh, it doesn't look as good as this. You know, he had uh, Tekken, Crash Bandicoot, um, Porsche Challenge, all, all you know the sort of launch titles for the PlayStation. Um, so we did have one, but it wasn't my console. So I can't sort of claim ownership for it. But then... From that, after that, you know, that was when I did move into the Sony realm and I then worked my way through PS2, PS3, PS4. And that's a sort of sidestepped away from, but I say sidestepped away from Nintendo, I didn't. I carried on getting like yeah, GameCube. I was, I was about to ask, did you carry <laughs> on with that path? Yeah, so. Um, you? <laughs> the Wii U, yes, I did have the Wii U. Um, Someone had to buy it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I sort of kept the Nintendo tradition going because I love the titles that obviously are exclusive um mainly zelda like i literally live for zelda games they're absolutely incredible mm. um i think that was one of the reasons that i bought the wii u because at the time i don't think it had a name actually but they released a like a concept trailer of what a zelda game could look like on the wii u because it was the first hd console that they'd done I think it was like Link fighting a, a giant spider or, or something. Mm. And it looked incredible. And I was like, right, that'll do. I'll get, oh, Zelda mug. That was well placed. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was not on purpose. But yeah, so I sort of, that's when I then got uh, thinking, oh yeah, brilliant. I'll wait for the HD Zelda game to come out. And then obviously they remastered some, but mm. then Breath of the Wild then got pushed and pushed and pushed so much that, it did come out on the Wii U, but it obviously became the launch title for the Switch. So 
Um, but yeah, again, it, that was a console that I think other developers, third party developers didn't take enough of an advantage of it. So it just sort of bombed massively because that gamepad could have been really useful, you know, with like the dual screens and stuff. But mm. um, yeah, I got, Nintendo sort of gone off into their own sort of world anyway, haven't they, since the Wii? Yeah, I mean it's crazy. I mean, I'm I'm I follow a very similar path to you. Up until uh, the GameCube, I thought Nintendo could do no wrong, but I very very heavily disliked the Wii. I particularly disliked uh, uh, its marketing and how uh, what they were trying to move to. However, success says otherwise. It's good God. It's it's one of the things where I think they even sort of said themselves that they were trying to step away from the hardcore gamers mm. in inverted commas, and they wanted it to be more of a family thing. So. It was always very cartoony games that were, you know, easy to play. And since they, they said, well, we don't want to compete with Sony and Microsoft anymore. We've got our own little market. Yeah. And I think it obviously did speak for itself when Xbox then came out with the Connect and PlayStation came out with Play or whatever it was with the iToy and the little things. Like, yeah. You're just making Wii controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I think sort of when Nintendo realised that they could go off and do that, like as, as upsetting as it was, like for the likes of say myself who loved Zelda and the more challenging games that they would put out. Um, they like said they found their own success and they didn't need to compete with the other the other companies anymore. Um, considering uh, considering that as well, like so, I mean, I, I have to ask this question just really to kind of throw it out there. And I know it's one people go, "What?" I I happen to think the Nintendo Switch is the best modern console of all of them like over ps and microsoft and all even though i have those as well i just yeah. it's what got me back in the nintendo games after being off that train for so long do you how do you have strong feelings about the switch is it something you quite enjoy yeah i've um i've, I've got a switch um i didn't get it on launch i think as with most consoles you struggle to get anything on launch these days mm. um but yeah i think it's a very interesting concept and the fact that they started releasing some of the like massive third-party games like Skyrim, yeah. Witcher 3, and it's just like, well, now when I'm on the train or if I'm on a flight somewhere, I can sit and play Skyrim for like five hours. <laughs> it's just like that's never been a possibility before. And then you can still, you've got Breath of the Wild and other Nintendo games, and they've still kept that sort of, not, not arcade aspects, but the ability to to play with other people there. And then you don't even need another set of like Joy-Cons. All right, yeah, you can detach them and you can play with two anyway, but because it's touchscreen as well, there's still like, you can almost play like board games on it and stuff as well, mm-hmm. can't you? So it's it's very unique and say innovative. And again, Nintendo just sort of showing what they can do. They've probably been working on that for years and kept that under the hats and then all of a sudden unveiled this console that can be portable but then also in HD on a on a TV with just a simple dock. It's it is it is because the the light I've never really sort of seen the point of because it isn't much cheaper. Of course, and you then don't have the ability to put it on a TV. So if you were going to spend the amount on a Switch light, I don't know why you wouldn't spend like the extra thirty quid. Yeah, and get yeah. a Switch. Yeah, and if you really want a, a good kind of Nintendo handhold, let's just get a 2DS then. A 2DS yeah. Perfectly good for, the, you know, that sort of thing. Right, I, 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 I'm i going to throw in something I didn't tell you about before. I just want to... <laughs> you know, we're going to go 
so you've talked about you're talking about consoles you've grown up with so i'm just going to go through uh the ones that i can remember of a certain period now and off the top of your head first thing that comes into your mind tell me what either your favorite game was on it or the one that holds the strongest memory so let's begin with the snes let's begin with the snes um probably donkey kong country the first one wow i was um, be honest i was expecting mario one mario game so that's a real surprise yeah uh no again i Going back to, as obviously mentioned in my cousins, they had Super Mario World, which is the main Mario one that everyone remembers. So mm. I did sort of borrow that off them and play that. But yeah, the the first Donkey Kong, like everything about it is as far as far as platform games go, like it, it is brilliant. But the music in it was just incredible. And even now you listen back to some of it and it's like, yeah, it's like 8-bit, you know, yeah. like hilarious music. But like, it's brilliant. Uh, and like the nostalgia as soon as that sort of kicks in every time you think oh yeah um as a as a youngster it considered that game did the mine the mine cart bit <laughs> mine cart is <laughs> honestly because again um it, it, that had like the co-op element where you know one of you could play as donkey kong one could play as diddy kong so again playing with my brothers and stuff like that but yeah like the the frustration of like the minecart levels and like I said I'm a little bit of a, a completionist for like sort of most games and then you know trying to get the Kong letters on every level and, mm. and all of that and so even when you finish a level you're annoyed because you've not got all the Kong letters so you want to go back and do it again but you've spent two hours trying to clear a bloody minecart level so um, but yeah that was one of the hardest things I can ever remember doing on a game there was one time I can't remember which level it was but like quite a few of my brother's friends were around and it was a case of you just kept passing the controller around and if you died, you passed it on. Of course. Well, there was one level, I guess, can't remember what it was, but for hours we've been trying to complete it, got through it. Everyone sort of jumped up in celebration, but my brother's friend still had the controller in his hand, which then sort of yanked the console off the unit and then like sort of made it freeze. Oh. So we had to like restart, but it hadn't saved because it, was, hadn't quite finished the level, so we had to do it again. Oh, <laughs> so that's probably one of my most vivid Donkey Kong memories. That's incredible. And you know, so, no doubt someone said, Look, we did it once, we can do it again. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> to be honest, I don't think it took much longer, but it was like second or third attempt after trying again. So I think it's the, the psychological aspect of, Oh, well, I've done it, I know I can do it. You you made a reference before when you talked about music and you talked about someone's leaving something and coming back away from it. Surely you've had the same experience in video games. You get stuck on something, you leave it for a day, come back and you do it in one. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's just because you can just feel the frustration building up and you you realise it when you get like less and less of the way through it. You're getting further and further back every time you try it, so you're just yeah. like, right. But it takes a long time to get to that point, you still keep trying and hammering away at it until you literally just can't take it anymore. And it's either going to be, I'm either going to break that or break something else. So I need to turn it off. Tell me about it. All right, let's carry on. Uh, what about uh, what about Mega Drive uh, or Genesis for our American friends? Um, again, I didn't have too much involvement with Sega because mm. I was a, a Nintendo boy. Mm. Um, but yeah, again, like Golden Axe sort of crossed over into, into that realm. Um, Streets of Rage, sort of those kind of games. Uh, obviously, Sonic, but that's sort of too easy of a, of a go-to. But um, It's almost like if you reached this age and you hadn't played Sonic, 
even if you've never played a game before, you know, I think everyone, there's probably people living deep in an Amazonian, uh, Amazon jungle, <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even like, they did sort of cool little things of the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge that was like separate. Um, so then you could play Sonic 1, 2 or 3 yes, within that Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, yeah. So you could then go back and play those games, but as Knuckles, for example. So um, like stuff like that. When you think back, that's ahead of its time. Mm. You know, being able to do stack cartridges like that and introduce a whole new element to a game. In like the early to mid 90s, that's just crazy. Um, what was it called? Oh, I remember being absolutely blown away by the expansion pack that you could use with the Nintendo 64. I think that came with Donkey Kong 64 because it needed it to run it. And then, oh, yeah, because right. again, you just always, it had a little slot on the front of it and you're like, what, what the hell is this for? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Because <laughs> um, there was something else on the bottom of it that I think only released in Japan called like the DD4 or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was a, it went underneath, right? And it, yeah. yeah. But I don't think it ever like launched in Europe or, or even North America. Like I, I think it was purely like Japan. And to this day, I don't really know what it was for. <laughs> I don't know what it did or whether it played different games or, you know, I, I can't remember what, what benefit it added to the console. But yeah, it just sort of seemed to never make its way over here. Yeah, it won't be the first time Nintendo did that. Um... Okay, what about then? Were well, right, so you not really Sega. Did you have any involvement with the Saturn? Um, there was one game, and for some, somehow, and I know it isn't because this was on the N64, but it was mm -hmm. a bit like Turok because it was like a dinosaur game. It might have even been Jurassic Park, I can't remember, okay. but All I right. think that was on the Sega Saturn. Yeah, there wasn't, there was, it's not got like a big catalog of games, really. No, um. I suppose a bit like the, the Dreamcast that mm. sort of didn't didn't do much, did it? Unfortunately. Let's combine the two then. Considering it's there's the so few games and such short-lived consoles, and you may not have a history of them. Then the Sega Saturn and the Sega Dreamcast. What one out of all of those of those two jumps out memory? Again, I think there was a, a Sonic game that I remember playing a lot on that. Um, Sonic Adventure. I think it was Sonic Adventure because obviously the Dreamcast had the little screen in the middle of the controller as well, didn't it? That like. Yeah. Sort of just had like Sonic's face on it or whatever when you were playing. Yeah, you. Um, I think there was like what was the other one that had like launched with it? it was like Sega Bass Fishing or something like that. I think that launched with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, again, sort of weirdly, my any memories of playing on like the Dreamcast and stuff were in the cinema because they used to have like um. They had like listening stations for like CDs, like HMV used to have. So they were in the cinema where there'd be like a certain album on and you just put the headphones on and sit and listen to them. But then at the side of that, for whatever reason, they had a Dreamcast. <laughs> like, it was so random. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you'd either, you know, before watching a film or after you've watched a film, just come out and stand and play Sonic for like half an hour, 45 minutes and then go home. Never ever seen or heard of a cinema doing that. It must be something up north only. <laughs> I think because it was at the time it was a Virgin Cinema, so um, I so I imagine the music will have been like Virgin Megastores kind of thing. So that's why that was there. But I don't know why there was a console there. Okay, well then let's do the big one then. Nintendo sixty four. Now this has got to be really hard, right? Because there are so many. Yeah, um, but it's sort of in initial immediate 
answers, there's two standouts that I imagine would be anybody standouts that's got an N64. Goldeneye has to be there. Of course. Um, and Ocarina of Time. It was, if it wasn't Ocarina, it was going to be the other one. Majora's Mask. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, first 3D Zelda title, so you weren't just sort of side-scrolling and moving around. You were actually in a 3D world that was just unlike anything else ever at that time. Um, and, yeah, like going back to the whole four-player thing in the same room, like, GoldenEye was the, the first sort of four-player first-person shooter, and I think that sort of paved the way for pretty much every other first-person shooter game that came after it of, oh, yeah, well, we can have these four-player death matches and we can do all these things and, you know, throw, like, fun scenarios on of, you know, no weapons and, yeah, like, one-shot kill and, and all these other things and, like, teams, you know, it's like, like, Man with a Golden Gun was probably one of the greatest modes on GoldenEye. It was so funny. It's quite way um, to fall out with friends. Yeah, it is. Especially when you played it that much and on every map that you knew exactly where the golden gun spawned. <laughs> so it was just impossible to get it off you. Because again, at the time, no one really had the logic of, well, let's team up because if three of us shoot them, they can't take us all out. Yeah. But you didn't. You all just ran around crazily trying to gun everybody down. <laughs> so <laughs> tactics didn't exist uh, at that point in in sort of my, my thinking, at least anyway. So when going back to the love of Donkey Country, uh, Donkey Donkey Kong Country earlier on, what was your feelings then when it moved to 3D on the N64? Did you enjoy that? Because I struggled. I struggled massively. Um, I think suddenly because it's always been a traditional platform, even the same with like Mario. Mario 64 was not as hard as Donkey Kong 64, weirdly, but to suddenly take like a, a side-scrolling platform game. Mm-hmm. and put it into a 3D environment where you're not suddenly just looking for certain things that you can jump on or swing off of or throw things at you. You've got to look for whole other ways to get to get through levels. Yeah. It, it was almost like a, a big step up in, in difficulty. Um, yeah, I, I really struggled because there was like games like um, Banjo-Kazooie yeah. and stuff like that as well, but they weren't quite as bad because you weren't going into that expecting like a Donkey Kong game or a Mario game. It was just, oh, well, this is going to be like a 3D kind of platformer mm. and it, it was fine. But yeah, yeah, go, think, thinking that you know what you're going to expect when you've played a lot of Mario and Donkey Kong and stuff to have to go into a 3D version of it, it, it is a little bit, like it's a whole, whole other sort of world and it. it's, it's, it's not easy. Especially, especially when you take into account the... Genius design of the Nintendo 64 controller. I mean, (laughs) again, it's probably one of the biggest arguments I remember people having growing up, especially compared to like the PlayStation. But it's like, yeah, but it's got everything that you're going to need. It's it's got an analog stick, it's got a D pad, and it's got a whole host of other buttons on the right hand side. So like, it it's got everything that you're going to need. But I must admit, it was one of the funniest things ever to to hand it to someone who'd never played on it before I know and just watch them try and figure out like how am I supposed to hold this and you wouldn't tell them you just sort of hand it to them and go all right let's see what they do and yeah the the sort of configurations that people used to do with it were were funny yeah yeah no no doubt no doubt it's interesting because obviously they would end up improving upon the controller when it came to the GameCube which uh I'll be interested 
All right, no, you tell right. What is it then for the GameCube for you? Game. Yeah. Again, it's difficult only because I'd probably pick this for the next two or three Nintendo consoles, but um, Twilight Princess. Zelda. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know if it's because it was such a massive step up from the likes of like Majora's Mask however, to suddenly see Twilight Princess on that. But I mean, Twilight Princess is probably hands down my favourite Zelda game, which again is quite a controversial uh, is. choice. Um, but I just love the style of it and, and and the story and everything in that was just... Because um, if there's one thing that Zelda games have always got, it's always a good story, as long as you sort of are into that kind of thing, because they're always obviously based on the same concept of the, the main three people of Zelda, Ganon and Link, but um, that obviously introduced Midna and this whole other sort of world of the Twilight Realm and, mm. and stuff and yeah, I mean, obviously there's there was a Star Wars game that I had on the GameCube as well. Oh, uh, something like Rogue Squadron? I don't think it was. It was a bit more because mm. it was like the Jedi Knight ones that used to be on like PC and stuff, but it wasn't that, and I can't think what it was. Now. Oh, oh, I, I think I, I really can't remember. Well, that was good. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, and then obviously things like Luigi's Mansion. That was when that sort of first, because again, that's turned up in various forms since, mm. hasn't it? But yeah, that got its first outing on on GameCube yeah, as well. But yeah, title. probably um, yeah, Twilight Princess. I think. Awesome. What, um, would you, what would you have gone for for GameCube then? Because I know you're obviously a, a big fan of the GameCube. Well, part, I mean, I, 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 I love the Wind, I love Wind Waker, but yeah. not enough to rank it. Oh, man. Oof. Oh, you know, my mind's gone blank. I'm like, Super Mario Sunshine? I'm like, no. Oh. I love Super Mario Sunshine, but not the it's best not, game. It's not, it's not the best game on it. No, it? not at all. Oh, of course. No, I do have it, and it's technically a little bit of a cheat. It's the Resident Evil H... Uh, not HD, Resident Evil remake they did at the time. Yeah. Blew my no, mind. Fa huh? Yeah, fair enough. That's, uh, that's a good shout. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were sort of amazing anyway, but then to, to sort of reboot it and... Couldn't believe you know, it. Really, yeah, it was... I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, nowadays when you see like, oh yeah, we're re-releasing this game and uh, we've made it from the ground up and all that kind of thing and uh, you end up looking and going, have you really? <laughs> really HD? Yeah, you've, you've not done much. Yeah, yeah. So after that point then, did you kind of stick with Sony all the way up to kind of now or do you range between all all the, uh, with, well, basically between Microsoft and Sony? Um, it was mainly, other than the brief like forays into the Nintendo realm. Because I, I did get the Wii and the Wii U and then mm -hmm. the Switch um, with a couple of like, I didn't get the 3DS, but I just had the normal, like just the standard DS when that yeah. first came out. Um, yeah, it was mainly Sony. That's like PlayStation was where I did the bulk of console gaming then after that. So um, yeah, working up through PS2, PS3, PS4, um, pretty much up until... September last year where like a bunch of us who played on PlayStation built PCs um, oh. and like since making that switch uh, that has literally blown my mind the world of PC gaming just the, the variety on offer and the things that are on like Steam 
that third party developers make that you know would probably never see the light of day on console but they're just so fun and things like that um but yeah for a good two or three years i just like lived on the ps4 it was like an amazing console so now you're part of the master race huh <laughs> well it's like I say it's just a whole other world that i don't think i ever anticipated I, I don't know whether part of me didn't want to do it sooner because i was like oh it's gonna be it's just gonna take over everything it's gonna be too good or whether i was like nah it can't be everyone bangs on about it all the time and i, just, I, I don't know whether i was in denial or scared of how much it was gonna just take over my life <laughs> I wonder as well, for a lot of people, like there's something quite overwhelming because of the amount of range of uh, if you're going to buy a great gaming computer outright or if you want to do your own build and all that. If you don't really, if you're not good at that, but you like to play games, I feel like that, I mean, for me personally, I don't PC game. And the thought of doing that is very overwhelming. Like, yeah. how do you get started? Well, I mean, I, I must say, like when you said then, I'm massively fortunate that... Um... Uh, Matt, who used to play keyboard in the band, um, him and his brother, David, are like mad into PC gaming and they sort of grew up on it. So they were one of the reasons why I sort of made the jump as well, because between us three and our friend Colin, like we were like the, the four that always played stuff. So as soon as, you know, a couple of people plant the seed of, oh, we're thinking about building PCs, it's like, well... I'm probably going to have to then otherwise I'm going to get left behind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've sort of grown up with it. So they sort of just know everything. They knew everything. They basically picked all the components of what they were going to build, passed that to me and was like, look, this is what we're going to get. This mm -hmm. is like the sort of price range that you're looking at. We can swap a few things out to make it a bit cheaper or you could step it up if you wanted to. But like, yeah, if, if I'd have had to come into this blind, I literally wouldn't have known where to start because I think you can obviously buy pre-built rigs, but for the for the money that you could spend doing a custom build, it, it wouldn't be as good. It's almost like not taking advantage, but you know, they're like, oh well, we can sell you this built unit that you can plug in and play for X amount. But if you went away and put all your own components together yourself, you could probably build either the equivalent for cheaper or build something better for the same amount of money that that builds cost. So, um, yeah, massively fortunate that I had friends who knew all about it because there's no way I would have been able to do it on my own. Even putting it together is just a whole other ball game. Yeah. <laughs> when I see people cracking out soldering irons, I'm thinking like, okay, this is not what I need to do. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to do any of that. But, um, but yeah, no, if, if I hadn't have had sort of that kind of help and support behind me there's no way i would have ever done it if there's one thing i hope people are picked up already up to this point is that the word community i think comes up quite a lot in regards to why you uh game to a certain degree either then or now be it with family and back then and friends now you would have gone through your life like most of us did when we said no being told to grow up right games are for kids man what are you doing yeah that kind of thing um what kind of got you over those humps and what is it is it the community aspect that's kept you connected to playing games or is there something more to that? I think now, because again, I don't, I don't really know when this happened, but yeah. I used to, I would be sit and play 
a single player story driven game on my own for hours. I'm, I still can, don't get me wrong, but now just the idea of, let's say, just getting in from work and you've got a couple of hours to kill in the evening or whatever, jump online, see what's going on. Like a few of your friends are around. It's like, oh, well, I'll jump in and play what they're playing or whatever. And it's like, it is, it's just another way of socializing that, again, like not to sort of talk about the, the pandemic too much, but for people who couldn't go out and socialize and see the friends and, you know, where perhaps phone calls or video calls and stuff weren't cutting it, we were still socializing in exactly the same way that we always did. Of, yeah. it's, it's another sort of just outlet and another way to communicate with people. So, um, as well as it, like you say, of it being, oh, well, you know, it's, you play computer games when you're a kid, but you know, you, you need to go to work and you need to do all these things. It's like, if anything, since I've had my own money, I've been able to spend more of it on gaming and sort of invest more in it and you know, sort of get more enjoyment out of it. But it's also the fact that I think at one point, and it was probably true at one point, but the the social view of it was that it's a very antisocial experience mm-hmm. and you're locked away in a room on your own, not talking to anybody and you're just going to sit and play games all day. And it's like, it's actually now the sort of complete opposite if you want it to be. It's one of the most social aspects. Um, like look at things like Twitch where yeah. people sort of create an entire community that they interact with every single day mm-hmm. um, where the same people will keep coming back, whether it's because they like the games that they play, whether it's they like that person's personality. There's a whole host of things and it's like, it's not an antisocial thing at all. And it, it doesn't just have to be people locked away in, in bedrooms or whatever, not talking to people. It's a whole other way of socialising that, yeah, all right, you've not got, that same element of human contact if you were meeting up yeah. in a pub or a restaurant, but it still gives you that chance to interact with friends. But then likewise, depending on you know the games and whatever else, you can end up speaking to complete random strangers and have some of the sort of funniest games and amazing conversations that yeah. you'd never have outside. I've played games with, as I'm sure you have, with people in like America or Canada or wherever. And it's like, I'd have never had a conversation with this person out in the street. Um, so your best friends in this game when you're on the same team. Yeah, it's just, I, I can, to a point, I can see why people either don't understand it or don't get into it. But mm. I think, I guess it's not as bad now, thankfully, but where once upon a time, like people were so quick to yeah. dismiss it of, nah, they say it's childish, it's, you, you're, not, you're just anti-socialist. Like, it's just none of those things at all. Um, but yeah, like the, like the, the, the gaming community element of it is definitely something that sort of has drawn me in in more recent times. But um, yeah, even just like the, 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 the calibre of games now and as technology improves, like the, the stuff that's, that's being released and some of them, are, you know, they're like films and yeah. TV programmes and they then draw you in because the, the stories are so rich and they get these incredible actors that aren't just voice actors. It's all motion capture. So they're acting out scenes that are then in the games and stuff. And it's like, it, I think a lot of people would probably enjoy sitting, watching other people play games because they might not like, Oh, well, I don't want to control anything. That seems too technical, but they'd enjoy the story and, and watching. Yeah. Your experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. As um, have, did you have you uh by chance played uh the Mafia Definitive Editions that came out uh, a couple of months ago? I've not. No. 
Right, I'd left it and I, I started playing the first one a few weeks ago. And I played Mafia back in mid when it came out, like the 2008 or 2009 originally. So I was like, well, it's been a decade. Let me play it again. And I drove my wife nuts. <laughs> going, look how amazing her faces are. Why yeah. do they look so real? It's freaking me out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the, the fact that, and they say to, that's a remaster, but that's a remaster done well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely insane the, the sort of minute detail of just people's expressions in certain cutscenes, and you can tell what they're thinking just like you think back to sort of the square sort of boxy characters even 10 years ago you don't think it was that bad until you compare modern graphics to 10 years ago and you're like this was one of the best things i've ever seen 10 years ago yeah and now it, it's laughable it just doesn't stack up to to anything it's, yeah i am um... it's crazy I briefly put the remastering of Final Fantasy VIII on on a few weeks back, and I, I was just like, oh, wow, I can finally see Squall's face. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's what they wanted him to look like. Good for yeah. them. <laughs> Again, they're a prime example of it because of sort of how old they were and looking at some of the Final Fantasy games now and the more recent ones, it's night and day. Absolutely. It is, it is, it is. Not just, let's move on from the visual side of things then. I really like to talk to people about uh, what their emotional connections are, not necessarily to the childhood aspect, but even more modern as well, be it a particular story or a character or an arc or just a game overall that you can think of or moments that affected you emotionally in the same way that other media might be, a book, a film, a piece of music and so on. Is there anything like that for you? Um. I think anyone who's played The Last of Us, oh, of course, will just know what an emotional roller coaster mm. that is. Just like even even from the start, and it's things that you don't even pick up on. Like I, I don't know if you've um, listened to that like, the official podcast that they released for The Last of Us. No, but it's very good. Um, yeah. The first sort of half of it is all about the first game, and then the second one was all about the develop. The second half is all about the development and stuff okay. of Last of Us Two. Um, but it's the level of detail that you just don't comprehend as like a, a player. Um, like as an example, in, in in the first game, the very very first thing that you do is start off controlling Joel's daughter mm. with nobody else in the house. That was done purposely to immediately make you feel on edge of. Yep well, I'm a, I'm a little kid and I'm in my house all alone and I don't know where anybody is. And you do feel massively uneasy of course, yeah. just playing that. And then obviously there's all that stuff that happens in the opening scene of him like smashing through the door and everything else because the neighbours turn up into the zombie. And it's just like, <laughs> you, at the time, you don't take any of it in, but listening to them describe it and you know the way they wrote it and stuff, you just like, nothing's done by accident. Like it's all very, very well thought out. Um, but yeah, just the the relationship between all the different characters in that game, but obviously mm. like between Joel and Ellie all the way through it of him, you know, obviously not really wanting anything to do with her and seeing her as a burden, but then all of a sudden curse for him more than anything else in the world and he just wants to look after her. Yeah, it's very um, real. Yeah, massively. Um so yeah, that that's sort of a a standout. There's um I don't know if you played many of the like Quantic Dream games, like um, 
Detroit become human? You know, where they're almost like interactive films. No, uh, no I definitely have not. I've played games similar, but not that one. No. Yeah. Because um, obviously there was things like Heavy Rain. Of course, um, Heavy Rain, yeah. That's, that's... Until Dawn, all those kind of things where it's it's more like an interactive film. The amount of sort of controller skill required is, is very minimal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for again, from like a story point of view and obviously interactive and you can change the story the, the more you play through it. Um, but Detroit is um, to sort of try and sum it up. There's, there's three different storylines that go on. Um, because there's three main characters. But the sort of the lead storyline all the way through it is there's what it's about androids and yeah. living in a human world of androids. But it's essentially about trying to gain rights for androids. Hmm. Um and like it raises questions like what is it that makes you human? Is it the fact that you do have biological organs and everything else? Or is it these emotions that you can feel and are their emotions real or not? Because it's still affecting them in the same way. Their brain is still electrical. Mm. Um, and it's like, they're still, they argue that they're still capable of love and anger and hate and all these other things. And, you know, they don't want to be subservient. They just want to be viewed as another race. Like they don't want to sort of be sort of dominated or they don't want to take over anything. They just want to be viewed as, as equal. And yeah. And like just that as a concept blew my mind. But again, the storytelling in it and the way it's done, it's it's amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah, even you're describing it there, uh, you know, the parallels to real life and, um, you know, issues that we have in real world issues and then comparing it to say something like Blade Runner or AI, artificial intelligence, the yeah. Steven Spielberg movie, you can see the power ideas are kind of drawn from that sort of thing. Yeah, and that's why it's good because it's not the stereotypical sci-fi take of, oh, we've managed to create an AI. Oh, it wants to take over everything. It wants to kill everybody. It's like, well, no, we don't. We just want to be seen as equal to you. We don't want to do all your stuff for you. We just want to live our own lives in our own communities. And yeah, We've had enough Terminator movies. We, <laughs> you know, we can be wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, why people in the real world are still trying to create AIs when science fiction has told us just to leave it alone but <laughs> people insist on on carrying on so um, back to the future told us we have flying cars by now <laughs> you know, it did i'm not too worried about humanity creating an all-conquering ai <laughs> no yeah to be fair you're you're, you're right there yeah <laughs> so this is this is a a, a list of one uh, imagine I am someone who's never played a game before. Oh, or at least I went back in the day and I was playing Super Mario Brothers and the Nintendo and that was about it. And then I spent my teenage years drinking and doing all the stuff teenage should do. I grew up, had kids, and now I'm bored of my life and I want to get distracted. And I come to you and say, listen, man, Liam, you play games. Uh, give me three that I can kind of, not just get me started, but the idea would be to keep me continuing and wanting to experience more. What three would you choose? That's, I suppose, pretty hard because you wouldn't want to overwhelm yeah. somebody. Because, um, mm. again, immediately your brain goes to something along the lines of Skyrim or Fallout or something that is massive. Yeah. Um, does sort of hold your hand a little bit at the start and tell you what you need to know, but then ultimately you're left to your own devices and you can just... You can play it how you want. Obviously, you're supposed to follow the quests and do things, but you could spend days 
were you just wandering around exploring and talking yeah. to people? Um, so obviously there's all, yeah, there's all those kind of things. Um, again, from like a sort of a, a fun and a social aspect, mm. there's little arcadey games like Overcooked. Okay, yeah, good shout. Um, which again, you don't necessarily need to be online gaming or anything else. You've still got, oh, well, people can be round. And again, with the benefits of modern consoles, you don't need wires and stuff traipsing everywhere. You can all have wireless controllers and sit there. And mm. again, that doesn't sort of need much interaction with it. If there's literally like two buttons that you'll use and then the stick to move around, you don't need much. Uh, and the concept is relatively simple, but in terms of fun and drawing you in and letting you know, you know, why people do play games. Yeah. And like, I think something along those kind of lines would be, would be pretty cool. Mm. Um, and then again, something like Detroit or Heavy Rain or something where, again, it's controller light, but you get to sort of see modern graphics ah. um, and see what is possible. But then you're drawn in by the, the storytelling and everything else because... I mean, again, I don't, I don't, I don't know about yourself, but one of the main reasons why I do sort of play games so much, especially single-player ones, is it's just escapism, yeah. isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like the world can be a pretty grim place at the best of times. What better way than sitting down and just going into a whole of a world of just literally not thinking about this world and doing something else? It's like the same, like you said before. It's the same as a good book. Yeah. good TV program, like anything. It's to switch off and just get away from reality for a little bit. So um, There's a reason why I'm coming from home from work at the moment and playing Lego Harry Potter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but again, all those Lego games are incredible because they're so funny yes. as well. You know what I mean? It's Incredibly well-built games. Incredibly yeah. well-built games. It's Lego. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had like the, some of the Star Wars ones and like, like, um, it wasn't a Pirates of the Caribbean one, but it's like a, like an All-Stars one, but Jack Sparrow is in it. And it's oh. very funny because he runs around like Jack Sparrow, but he's a Lego Jack Sparrow and it's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of, can you consider touch upon Overcut? I, I have to ask this then as well. Considering the wealth of gaming you do uh, before and now, what about mobile gaming? And this is a really touchy subject for me personally, but I'm just intrigued by your answer. What about, do you do much in the way of mobile gaming? Not much. Um, I, pr I probably don't know much about it, to be honest. And what I do know, or what I have seen, should I say, is more everything's just like hidden behind paywalls and adverts. And um, like people do get massively addicted to it and end up just spending a fortune because mm. you need to put a little bit. And you, it doesn't seem like a lot at the time because you're just putting little bits of money into it to unlock the next little bit that you need to do. But over the course of like three months, you, you check your bank statement or whatever, and you're like, oh, I've spent like a fortune on this bloody mobile game. Like, how's that happened? Yeah. Um, that suck. But like, I, I mean, I must admit, like, I, I don't get it, but it's only because, like you were saying, then there's, I'm aware of the wealth of gaming mm. stuff that's available elsewhere that my phone is my phone. I don't need to use it for that because I've got other stuff to play games and, Again, I think if people stepped away from the sort of stigma of, oh, it's gaming, it's childish. If you were like, you literally sat on your phone 
playing games all the time. Like you could probably play something that you would massively enjoy. Um, You're absolutely right. It is. Um, I completely understand. I mean, uh, without going too much into it, compared to what the, the free-to-play market, as it's known, is an absolute cesspit of hell yeah. um, these days more than ever before. But it, it, I always like to gauge people's opinions because outside the free-to-play market, the pay-up-front side of things, you can unearth and you have to search for it. Kind of imagine a bit like Steam, actually, where, yeah, yeah. yeah. And But when you find those games that are really, like, it's an, uh, on a mobile game that you pay up front for and there's no, there's no in-app purchase and all that, like, that's where the joy for me comes from that aspect. It's just really yeah. difficult to find them, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I say, it, it is 100% sort of ignorance on my part. Like it, it's something that I, I don't know much about. Um, but it just even hearing you compare it to Steam and knowing that, you know, if you do know where to look or if you know what you're looking for, you can probably find like an absolute gem that, you know, for the sake of five, six pound or whatever, you know, you could get untold amounts of enjoyment out of when you're out and about and you've not got your switch with you for example yeah um with that in mind then is there something you can think of off the top of your head um that's in your mind that you have found a hidden like a five six pound whatever it is a gem on steam that perhaps people may not know about and you just think my god i wish people had heard of this or played it because wow That is difficult because I mean, it's one of them things where even if I would potentially think no one knows about it, they probably do. Only because most of the things that I have discovered or come across have either been things that other people have passed to me or I've seen people playing on Steam. No, uh, Twitch, sorry. Um, but yeah, things like uh, Phasmophobia. I don't know if you've seen anything to do with that. No. It's, it's still in early development, so it's not like a, a big game or anything, but it's essentially like a four-player co-op but mm. you are ghost hunting but all of the communication stuff that's in it is proximity based so if you're not stood near each other you can't hear each other what? and you've, you've got to like look for certain clues to try and identify what type of ghost it is that you're hunting but like as more and more time goes on you sort of like agitate the ghost and it starts sort of like fighting back and it can kill you like when it when it kills you it is terrifying okay um, sounds quite clever and it's like there's the stereotypical like paranormal um investigator stuff in it so like talk boxes and things but your in-game voice allows you to sort of communicate so you can ask questions oh wow and then if you're in the vicinity of the ghost the talk box will like speak back to you and it will like pick it up and stuff Oh, cool. But like, it, it, it is pretty terrifying. But again, it's hilarious playing with like three of your friends. It, yeah, that and, sounds very much like a big social thing. Yeah. Um, and you sort of, it, all the movement is really slow. So you're sort of walking around the house really slowly. But then as you sort of get closer and closer to a room, you'll just hear someone screaming because <laughs> they're getting murdered or whatever. And oh, that is, that, that is very funny. Yeah, um, that's kind of innovative and it brings me to my next question then which is modern gaming and innovation we haven't really done anything spectacular since open worlds maybe yeah um what what was the last innovative thing that really impressed you and twofold what do you think the next thing might be um in terms of like game development and stuff Mm. there's not sort of i was gonna say there's not anything groundbreaking but there's things like Battle Royales took over, didn't they? And that sort of became 
the, the main way that people played competitive gaming suddenly became all about battle royale mm. um and you couldn't sort of run and gun the same way of oh well, i'm gonna respawn again in a minute it's fine suddenly you had to be way more tactical and you know and not sort of squander your life because otherwise that was it you, you were out you had to start again yeah um but even like technology wise it's things like vr's come on okay leaps and bounds um I've not had too much experience of VR or of the PlayStation 5 controllers, but I know like the responsive triggers that Sony have put on that mm. is like something else. So there's more resistance on the triggers depending on what you're doing and what you're playing. So on certain games, it can be really hard to press the trigger if it's oh. a trigger on a gun, for example, or yeah. an accelerator on a car or something else. Like there's there's, there's almost like feedback That's to the triggers. Mm. Um, but I've not really had much experience on it so i don't know if it's brilliant or annoying because that's one of them things that could just infuriate you when you just like ah, i just want to play the game why can't i press the triggers yeah why have you done this yeah yeah i have to um, ask though when you uh, before you carry on we brought a vr do you do you think gimmicky or do you think that's around for long term now again from what you see of other people doing it it does seem very gimmicky mm. um but i think with the right sort of environment with it and the right game and designed well enough it, it, it could be used to be you know the next the next thing and it's almost like to, to, to go back to that question of you know what what could yeah. be next I mean it, it is obviously mega sci-fi stuff and pipe dreamy stuff but I don't know if you've seen um ready player one mm-hmm. yep something like the oasis you know oh, what I mean right. it's you yeah. know could we end up in this thing where everything is virtual and you can go to different areas of one big virtual game to play different games but essentially you're just in one big virtual reality yeah um, obviously there's no way that's on the horizon anytime soon but whether that could end up you know somewhere where it goes because that film is is brilliant for even just forget about all the pop culture references which just make it funny anyway when you Mm. sort of spot everything and pick it up but I just love the concept of, of that film anyway. But um but yeah, some something like that wouldn't surprise me in hundred years' time or whatever it ends up being. But that's in it. That's what I think. I think, yeah, you know what? It, it's not as far fetched. It's pro- probably not in our lifetime. Yeah, no, definitely not. But it's not beyond the realms of possibility. I mean, when it gets to the point where you're like flying around in a room and stuff on wires because you're playing a game that's a little bit different but <laughs> you know just to be in virtual reality that is a bit more immersive than putting on a headset and then still sort of being very much aware that you're a person in a room with a headset on as a person as opposed to actually going into a game kind yeah. of thing because i think that's why i know a lot of people talk about like getting motion sickness and stuff when playing VR games because it's mm. just a bit disorientating and it's just too much going on for your brain to comprehend. But I think a part of it is still you're very much aware that you are stood up yeah. in a room, so you can't ever really settle into it. And I've heard, you know, a lot of people saying, "Oh, I'm, I'm just dead conscious of thinking that there's someone behind me or someone's going to come in and, and try and scare me or do whatever." It's just like you can't enjoy what you're doing for fear of bumping into something in your house or bumping into a person or, or whatever else. But like I said, I think if with the right game in the right environment, I think VR could end up being quite cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it's not. I think you're wrong at all. Um, um, 
I, I just, I, it's just so gimmicky. All I ever see is, oh, look, jump scares and horror games. 100%. That- and Phasmophobia, yeah. like I mentioned before, that is on VR. And when you see people playing it, it it's a whole other, like, it almost plays like a different game. It doesn't, it just, it does just seem that then looks like a gimmicky game. Whereas playing it without VR just seems more fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? That's, I guess, well, I guess what we'll see. We'll have to see on that. (laughs) Right. This has already gone way longer than we expected. Um, So we are coming to the end. Right. I wanted to ask you this and I suspect I might know the answer, but let's see. Wipe your memory of one game. So we're not talking about, we are talking about, playing it with fresh eyes and ears effectively for the first time ever choose one game that you could just get rid of in your mind so you get to experience it all over again what would you choose i don't think you'll guess this because i haven't mentioned it at all yet oh cool um but destiny really wow and vanilla destiny at that before they did anything else to it purely because I had well over a thousand hours on that game. It, it, it literally sort of, it, that is one of the first things in, in recent memory that stole my life from me. Um, but again, I didn't really play much Xbox. So I had no experience of Halo or Bungie's world of gameplay or anything. So Destiny just blew my mind. But again, it was the sort of big introduction into the social aspect of gaming and six-man raids and there being mechanics to boss fights and not just going around and shooting things because it's a first-person shooter. There were, you had to work as a team and actually do stuff. And like I met, you know, some of my like most recent best friends through playing oh, that game and it's just so many funny memories and like the sort of joy of beating the Vault of Glass for like the first time, of doing the first raid and completing it. It went from taking us about four and a half hours when we first did it to we were like running it on hard mode in under 35 minutes after a few times, but, but yeah, like just that as it was back then, it's so funny when you try people who've played like it towards the end of its life cycle, I played destiny two and you try to explain the way that the armor system worked and leveling up used to work in the original game. People just look at you like you're talking another language, even though they know the game, they're just like, what are you talking about? But there's just so many fond memories of that that if there was anything that I could like just take away and do it again, oh. it would be that. See, that's what I love about these kind of conversations is my initial shock of being really destiny and especially, <laughs> as you said, vanilla destiny. So yeah. Peter Dinklage doing the voice. And all and <laughs> yeah, I, Peter Dinklage, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I played destiny, vanilla destiny as well, and I did not like it at all. Well, a lot of people didn't. Yeah, I maybe maybe put about 10 hours into it before I was kind of like, nope, done. And then I hear your incredible experience. It almost makes me want to go back and play it to see if I <laughs> missed something, you know? I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I think a big part of that was we had a group of people that were playing it. And that game didn't really start until you completed the main story campaign. That's when the game started. Um, and it just became about the grind. And again, I'd never played games like World of Warcraft or, you know, any of these other MMOs where it is literally just grinding, grinding, grinding over and over again. And I had had no sort of concept or experience of that at all. So like the way that it just hooked you and got you to just like, I'd happily sit and play the same content week after week after week to get the next bit of armor or the next gun or whatever. 
Um, I think you just think it was designed in a, a very well designed game, but hundred percent. I know a lot of my friends who just couldn't get on board with it and didn't even finish the story campaign because they were just like, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, but again, I think back then, and that's what they changed with Destiny 2, is they made Destiny 2 much more accessible for the casual gamer. So you could just pick up and play for an hour after you've been to work. Right. Whereas Destiny 1 was, well, I hope you're prepared to sit here for 14 <laughs> hours grinding through it because you're not going to level up if you don't. Um, but 100%, it was the the sort of friendship group and the community that I had playing that at the same time. And when they started to tail off, the game became less fun. Of and course. we all sort of stopped playing it because all of a sudden, if you've not got six of you playing, you can't do a lot. Of, you can't do the main end game activities. So you no. end up trying to find people online to play with. But as I'm sure you're aware, with, with many games and many gaming communities, there's lots of toxic people kicking about and it suddenly becomes not enjoyable at all. So. Yeah, I completely relate to that. Uh, <laughs> completely relate to that. I really don't do much online gaming anymore. Um, weirdly enough, it was the Xbox One that kind of stopped on the Xbox 360. Uh, me and because I got several brothers, all roughly around the same age, and we spent uh, days, weeks, and playing things like Gears of War Two, multiplayer, and, all, and loving it. And Xbox One just came along and don't really do it anymore. Don't yeah. really do it anymore, you know. Yeah. It's one of them things where I think when you don't want to be getting annoyed mm. or having to do competitive gaming and you literally want to just, well, I, the whole point of it is I want to come in and relax and I want to play something and, and wind down. I don't want to be playing online with yeah. people who are going to wind me up or <laughs> yeah. if, if it is a competitive game, people that I can't compete with because like at the end of the day, my reactions are not as quick as some like 13 year old who's just going to be playing Call of Duty. And yeah ridiculous so i'm just not i'm not going to be able to compete um so again i've got, I've got quite a few friends who just jacked in online gaming still enjoy gaming still enjoy playing but absolutely zero interest in either competitive or playing online yeah i'm glad i mean uh, i don't know if you have but i i've never played fortnite and i'm consistently glad i've never played it i think there was literally i've only ever watched people playing it two mm. or three times and just thought one, I don't really like third-person competitive games like that because I just I, I don't get it. Yeah, but yeah, too just like the, the the building aspect of it. <laughs> it's weird. And when you see how quickly people do it, and all in less than a second, there's like a tower that they're stood on the top of. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I don't get this because suddenly it's not all about the skill required in being able to shoot someone. It's a whole other skill of how quickly can you... And again, it is a skill, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that I'm interested in developing or getting better at because I know there's going to be some, like, nine-year-old prodigy that's yeah that's going to destroy me at it. And it's like, yeah, I'm not signing up for getting absolutely battered. Yeah, you, you don't need that much of a bruising, you know? Like, <laughs> no. oh, choose it. <laughs> I have to ask, then, considering your connection, um, obviously, in the band and the fact that you're... Uh, so heavily into gaming, is, is Twitch and stuff like that ever something you've considered doing? Streaming? I mean, it is a little bit, and only the more, because I've only recently started watching a lot more streamers, um, mainly because I never used to understand it. I used to always be like, why yeah. do you not want to play the game? Why would you sit and watch somebody else playing a game when you could play it? Yeah. But then, like I meant, I touched on it before of, you know, people who perhaps aren't heavily into gaming 
could sit and watch someone else play it and, and love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's sort of, I now do it to wind down. So like if I play games for a couple of hours of an evening, the last 45 minutes before I, I you know, try and go to bed or you know turn the PC off or whatever, I'll sit and watch Twitch for a little bit because I'm not playing, so I'm not as wired and yeah, yeah. You know, getting into it, but I'm still sort of in, in the gaming world a little bit. Um, and the more I've sort of done that, I've realised that you don't have to be these out there characters. Of course. Because, um, again, I, I I enjoy playing games like Apex Legends and, and a few other things, but I am in no way competitive. Like, I'm, I don't even claim to be good at it. I just enjoy playing it. Mm. So I was like, well, I can't stream something like that because no one, no, no one's going to want to watch me play that because it's, I'm not competitive. And but then the, the more you look at it, there's people playing games like Age of Empires and Civilization. And like, I, I really enjoy playing like yeah. know, R- RTS stuff. And you think, why would anybody want to sit and watch someone play Civilization when like nothing's happening? But people just want to relax and chill out and you don't always want to watch someone who's dead animated and shouting all the time and doing all these things. Some people just want to log on chill out, watch someone playing something like Final Fantasy or, you know, a- anything, just a- something on Switch, you know, just proper chilled out of, you know, bloody Animal Crossing or like po- Pokemon, you know, any of that, just sitting there and watching someone chill out and you think, well, yeah, you could easily just get a little bit of a community going. And, and yeah, like I say, especially from a band point of view, it doesn't, if there was a band Twitch account, for example, it wouldn't even just need to be gaming. No, of course. One of the other lads could jump on at any point and just sit and have a bit of a chat one night or something, you know what I mean? It's it's definitely something that I've thought about. It's just whether we, we do do something with it or... It is, again, it's 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 it's, it's diving. It's, it's not like stepping into a paddling pool. You're going to have to jump in feet first, yeah. man. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, th- that was the main sort of eye-opener for me on that because I just always assumed because before actually really watching Twitch, my only interaction with it was seeing people's highlight reels on YouTube and stuff. And obviously, one, they're only going to show you the best bits because it's a highlight reel. Of course. But two, it's always these really animated people or, you know, there's, there's something that's unique about them that gives them their big community, whether it's because they're absolutely incredible at a game or, you know, it's because they're funny or all these other things and... But I say equally, there's people who, all right, they might not have massive communities of like 20,000 people, but they're just chilled game. There's just like literally finding like-minded people who are happy to just chill out and play something simple. There are people out there who will go to sleep with their favourite Twitch streamer on, not because they're screaming and shouting, but because they're just chilling out, talking softly about a game and sit, doing, as I say, some of that Age of Amp is a great example where you can stream for hours and yeah. hours at a very chilled pace. I mean, some people might think that strange, oh, you, what, you're going to sleep with someone else? It's like, is that any different to you going to sleep with that film on? Is it not literally the same thing? It's exactly the same thing, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's just because just it's not a film or a TV series or, you know, people now, you know, listen to white noise stuff it's not even music it's just literal white noise and things because it's relaxing and helps people sleep so if just like i say see he's finding someone with the right tone of voice if someone's got a relaxing tone of voice you're not even necessarily bothered about what they're talking about it's just relaxing to hear them speaking 
folks that are watching, I'm sure you can agree that Liam has a very relaxing. (laughs) 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 All right, last one for you, man. And then we're going to wrap this up. So we are going to go back to the band and it's simply put big UK tour in November. 11 days, 11 days, sorry, 11 cities. I had to count to make sure. I was like, have I doubled up here? And technically 12, because you've got Damnation, uh, a little, about two weeks beforehand, actual tour starts. It seems pretty obvious, but how much of a big deal is this to you, man? Like, how, how are you, you feel, I mean, it's so far away already, but how are, you, how are you feeling about getting back out and doing those sort of shows? Honestly, like, I just cannot wait to mm. be gigging again. Um, it, people get into bands for different reasons. Um, even, like, between the four of us, you know, some people prefer to, you know, would happily be a studio band and just keep creating music and putting it out there for people to hear and enjoy and, you know, and wouldn't be bothered about never playing. Um, which, again, is fine. There's a lot of studio bands or, you know, bands who only tour once every 10 years. It's like, it, it works, people do it. Um, but, you know, we love creating stuff. We love being in the studio environment and hearing all that come together because in a practice room, you know, it's... It's there, but it's not under a microscope. Whereas all of a sudden in a studio, when it starts, you can hear it coming together. That's just magic. And then when you get to take that and play it in a live environment to people, and like I say, especially with the just the overwhelming reaction to the album, like I can't wait to see how people enjoy it live. And I say, we just can't wait to to get out there and start doing it again. But, uh, but yeah, like you say, 11 days is going to be... Uh, Pretty grueling because we've we've not done a run like that since um, touring with Ohms in 2018. So other than that, you know, I think we've only ever done like three or four day runs since then. So 11 is going to be a bit of a killer. Yeah, you know what? I've seen you guys way too much way before this date that uh, you played the Boston Music Rooms in London uh, on that tour. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I was there. Because that was with... Um, Mountain Caller as well. And, yeah. Um, Earn, I think, played. Yeah. And then last time you played Bloodstock, what was it? It was it was 20... I'm losing my years of Bloodstock. 2019? It was 2019? Yeah, it will have been, because there won't have been one last year. The one last... Yeah, last time. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. God, these things. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's, I can't wait for it. Um, you know, go, you're at Damnation. I'm at Damnation. You're at the Boston awesome. Music Rooms again in London. Already going, so... Yeah, you'll see me at least. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, can't wait to hear what the new songs sound like live as well. I mean, that's the most exciting thing as well. How on earth are you going to build a set list out of all the music you have with the new well, stuff? This is the always the challenging thing. And I mean, you know, we always have a, a running joke with Paul anyway, because if, if it was up to Paul, we'd play all the new album and that's it. It's like, well, they're, they're done. They've all had the day. And it's like, and again, you know, he, he is only joking, but um, it, it is hard, especially you know, when there are seven really strong tracks on this album. Um, like it, it was even the other day we were going through and saying, right, well, well, you know, what, what would we do if we had to go back and pick, say, two off each album? Which which tracks would we pick? So even that was was hard enough. Um, and it's like with, with all the melted stuff, again, it, it never really influenced things too much. And Matt was always very quick to point out that we didn't have to do things, but we didn't really play too many older tracks because there was no keyboard on them. So 
I guess as much as Matt said he wasn't bothered and he'd rather just the set be the set and if it means he's only playing on two or three songs, it means he's only playing on two or three songs. But, you know, we were driving from Wigan to London to play a 40-minute set and only two of those have got him playing keys on them. It, you know, it was uh, never yeah, really I completely understand. fair to sort of, now, you're, you know, we've got it. So that was why, and again, it's almost, it almost became like a running joke and we sort of saw people talking about it on social media, but it was always like, oh, I wonder if they're going to play a Melted on the Inch in order again. And it's like, well, yeah, that was the set for a long time. But again, it was you know, it was a choice because those songs were arranged in that way because that was part of like the, the, the piece of it. There was a flow to them, so that's why they were played in that order live as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to be it's going to be hard to, to pick a set list because mm. obviously we're now we've, we're open to even playing some of the older tunes. But then you've got the downside of the melted tracks not having perhaps the same impact because there's going to be no keyboard parts on them. Um, but yeah, like with, with, with stuff like this, we're, we're even now at the minute, we're, we're trying to add um, more elements in with like vocal. So like me and Steve are trying to add in like some backing and some harmonies and stuff. Cause there's a lot of harmonies that Alex has put on this latest album that need to be there. Like they sound really good. So yeah. we're, we're trying our best to, get them in there as well. So that'll be a whole other element that we've never had live before. Well, you've got a good, what, what's that, five months? Yeah. Five months? Yeah, plenty of time to sort this stuff out. Well, that's it. And obviously we don't want to leave it too long before we get cracking on new stuff again. So, you know, we don't want to wait another three years before something's written and recorded. So it's just trying to get the balance of, we've got a bit of time now to maybe start working on some newer stuff and then a bit closer to the tour then we'd have to go back and you know relearn the tunes but I say at the same time we want to keep these ones fresh and me and Steve want to keep practicing harmonies and stuff so it's all about juggling the time and splitting it as effectively as we can and on that note man you're going to be incredibly busy I've already taken up way too much of your time this <sighs> evening listen man I could happily sit and uh, talk about games and stuff all night so no doubt we'll be able to carry on conversations either at Damnation or at Boston Music Rooms yeah, man, hopefully we'll have more to talk about then and new stuff then. Liam, man, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. No worries at all. Thank you very much for asking me. I say it's been massively enjoyable and uh, anytime I'm always more than happy to sit and talk about games and music and, and everything else. It's, there's nothing, nothing better. Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there. That's patreon.com forward slash GBHBL as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you like this video, do us a favour, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal. What else is life for?